Matthew 5:10 through 16. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the church, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing good today. Um, so I chose this passage today because I, I thought it's important to remind us that this is what it means to be a Christian, to face persecution, to face opposition. And considering we're in what's considered one of the darkest places in the country, right? We're in the Northeast. And even when I was younger, it was, it was told to me, that the Northeast is considered one of the more secular and faithless parts of our country. And I, I did some research just to back up this claim, and it's still true, although the West Coast also is pretty dark and faithless at the same time. But that shouldn't be necessarily a bad thing, and, and we'll see that today as we go through the scripture, because I think it gives us a tremendous opportunity as Christians to show our light to the world. Now, Charles Spurgeon gives a great quote, and I'm going to quote it here, so it should be on the screen. Um, it says, Oh, believe me, Christians are not so much in danger when they are persecuted as when they are admired. Now, I'm going to keep that quote on the screen through the rest of the slides because I think it's something that should resonate with us, that we should recognize that to be admired in our world, we're going to face opposition. And admiration for true Christianity can sometimes be more dangerous than actually facing persecution because there should be opposition because ultimately we know that the prince of this world is Satan. So persecution, as we see in verse 10, so we're, we're starting right at the end of the Beatitudes, um, which is the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going right into the salt and light passage. Um, but verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, persecution, when it comes to Jesus' sake, is something that we should take and recognize that our reward is not here. Our focus should not be here on this earth. But our focus and our hope should be on things above. Jesus talks about this all, all across the scriptures. Our hope as Christians, as followers of God, should not be focused here. If our, our, if our focus is here on things of this earth, we're going to miss the point. We're going to fail to be that salt and light as we're going to see. So I'm going to just you know, do the pastoral thing and give you three things, three challenges. So the first one is, do I face persecution? So 
whenever it comes to a challenge, I think we should all look ourselves in the mirror. Ask the question of, do I face persecution on a regular basis? And to be more specific with that, do I face persecution for righteousness sake? And do I see that as a blessing? Because more times than not, we say, oh, woe is me, you know, I'm, I'm being persecuted. But Jesus, is, and especially in the Beatitudes, he flips everything up on its head, right? He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are, are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. All these things that our world sees as negative, Jesus says, no, those, those are the people that are the most blessed. And I think one of the biggest reasons is because they, they can have an aspect of focus that isn't on this world. They're looking to a greater hope. So it's easy for us to say that, oh, you know, I'm being persecuted you know, I must be following Jesus. But we see persecution in all different ways in our world, right? Now, you guys, if you guys know me, I'm an Eagles fan. Probably faced a lot of persecution last week. Your team lost, ha, 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 ha. But that's not persecution for righteousness' sake. We also see this in different areas, right? We can see it in a political candidate. Your, your political candidate lost, or I disagree with um, what you believe politically. And people face persecution for that. But that's not for Jesus' sake. We see this in the last couple of years. We've seen it for medical choices, right? Whether or not you should get a vaccine versus you sh- shouldn't. You're going to get persecuted one way or the other. Those are not things that Jesus is, is focused on. He's saying persecution for righteousness' sake. And we see that even in the smallest scale when many of us are younger and you know, I work with teens so I get made fun of because of my height. You know, oh, you're short. Well, again, that's not persecution for righteousness' sake. Persecution for righteousness' sake is standing on the truth of God's scripture. So that brings us to verse 11, and it kind of reaffirms this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So then Jesus says we're blessed when people insult us when people come after us. And to think about this, right? What kind of opposition do we face in the world today? Why do people insult us? Why do people give us such a hard time? And I think a lot of this is because when you're thinking about what it means to be a Christian, it means to stand for the truth, to stand for good, to bring light into the world. So that brings us to a place that we have to look ourselves in the mirror. Do I look like the culture or do I go against it? Because we're trying to swim upstream in a downstream culture. And again, we're in this this dark place in in the Northeast. And and some of you might say, well, we're kind of on the edge. But regardless, we're in this dark area. And outside these church walls is a mission field. Our mission field is right outside these doors, right along this road. And I want to remind you, you see it in the very beginning in Genesis. Satan is really crafty. He will make the world seem like it's good. He'll confuse, you know, the words that people are speaking in the culture and say, no, this is the good thing. And what Christians stand for is bad. I'll give you two examples that we see in our culture. One today is cancel culture, right? If you disagree with the, the overwhelming thought-provoking narrative, 
you're going to be canceled, right? People are going to come after you. Some people might try to make you lose your job because you disagree with what the world says. And this comes, cancel culture has stemmed really out of this narrative of tolerance, that we need to be tolerant of everyone. And I think there's a place to be respectful of everyone. I think there's a place in Christianity to be respectful of people of other religions and other faiths. But being tolerant is a a whole other thing because to stand up on the truth of, of Scripture, for example, there's one way to heaven. There's one way to God, and that comes through Jesus. And the world will say, no, you're being intolerant. If we stand up for for righteousness' sake, and we say, no, what is wrong is clearly defined by God, and that is sin, the world will say, well, that's being intolerant. You're not standing up and and speaking up for all the other people in the world. But remember, look how they treated Jesus. So we need to constantly look ourselves in the mirror and say, do I start to look too much like this culture? And I want to tell you, the people with the biggest cultural impact typically aren't Christian. I'm going to say that again. The people with the biggest cultural impact typically are not Christian. 1 Corinthians 11, 14 14 through 15, it says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So we see in this world that Satan is not pulling any new tricks. Right? He's, He's... appearing as a person of light. And we see this in our culture, right? The people, the people that are standing up for cancel culture and tolerance think they're doing the right thing because they're just following the ways of the world and, and they don't even realize how much they're influenced by the prince of this world. So we need to constantly reevaluate ourselves. Do I look too much like the culture? Do I look too much like the world? And the reality is people will persecute you just for how you live. Even if you're, you're, not, you're, no, you're not the Christian that's shoving it down people's throat, because of how you live and you stand up in righteousness, people will persecute you. And I think a good example of this actually came from Tim Tebow. Um, Tim Tebow, when I was in high school, so I'm staying on the football track a little bit here, Tim Tebow had this platform, right? He took over a team that wasn't very good, and he, it, it was a lot of fun to watch if you watched it. He wasn't the best quarterback, to be honest. And for three quarters, he didn't play very well. In the fourth quarter, he'd come back, and he was just doing this week after week. And then, you know, during the fourth quarter, he was known for praying. You might have saw the Tim Tebow, the Tebowing at the time. And God gave him this platform. And so when I was in high school, it was kind of the talk of our school. We'd sit at a lunch table and say, oh, this team's better than this team. And what would this player make a difference on this team? And I remember I had a friend, and this friend grew up in church. He grew up in church, so he knew kind of what was right and wrong, and he said he hated Tim Tebow. And so when I asked him, well, why? You know, he hasn't even played your team. He's not on the schedule to play your team. And it wasn't about the player he was. It was about what he stood for. So Tim Tebow was pretty open about you know, some of his relationships, and he had had no sexual relations to that point in, in his life. He, was, he believed that 
part of God's call in his life was to wait till marriage. And that was the reason that my friend hated him. Even though he grew up in church, but I, I knew the life that he was living, he, he did not like Tim Tebow for that reason, because he was seen as, you know, kind of the goody two shoes Christian. And yet, I think Ephesians 2.3 explains it pretty well. It says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So if you came to Christ later in your life, you probably know, oh, I, you know there was probably some, I don't really want to associate with Christians. I don't, I don't need church. Some of you might feel that way or might have felt that way. And I think there's a reality that when we're living in righteousness, it exposes the deeds of, of people's hearts. And some people really don't like that. So, again, Satan is the prince of this world. So if we start to look like the world, that's when we should worry. That's when we should be concerned because then we know there's something wrong with the way we're living. So remember, we have to look at how the world treated Jesus 2,000 years ago. Right? They, they mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on him. They whipped him. They beat him and hung him on a cross, ultimately. That's how people treated him 2,000 years ago. And we see how they treated many of the disciples and the apostles. Many of them were killed. So how do, they think, how do we think that they're going to treat us today when we stand up on the same truth that Jesus stood on 2,000 years ago? We have to remember that it was the religious people that put Jesus on the cross. The people that appeared to be good. The people that appeared to be children of light. And then the Romans carried out what the people wanted. And I think there's an underlying truth there. That we have to be careful when we start to look like the majority. Because the majority is the world. We're never called to be the majority as Christians. We're called to be the light. The Bible also says that all types of false evils will be said about you. And we see this right at the end of verse 11. But I think there's a response to this. 1 Peter says it really well. Um, so 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So I think there's some truth there, Right? People are going to say bad things about us. People are going to persecute us. People are going, going to try to make up stories about us. But if your character remains consistent, even the people in the world will say that that doesn't sound like him or her. Right? That doesn't sound like that person. Verse 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were for you. Wait a minute. We're supposed to be persecuted and we're supposed to rejoice. We're supposed to be happy about it. But I think the joy comes again from our focus being on things above. Recognize that we are looking like Jesus to the world. We're facing this persecution and that we can recognize that we are real followers of Christ. That we're recognized with standing with truth. And we can recognize that this is a sign of the reward to come. Now, that shouldn't be the focus, right? Our, our focus shouldn't be the reward because we, ultimately we know that we don't deserve it. It's by grace alone. 
Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. But again, if our focus isn't on things of this world, that's when we get lost. We get lost when, when you know, the world and, it, and its pleasures bring us in. We, we get entrenched in the world. When our focus becomes on things that aren't Jesus, that's when we start to not look like Jesus. We won't face persecution if we start to look like the world. If we look like everybody else, how's anybody supposed to know? It also says that we see how the prophets were treated. If you look at all the godly men and women throughout the Old Testament, you know, you think about um, Abraham, Noah, Jonah, like all these people, they faced opposition, they faced persecution. Some did not want to face it. I think it's the natural human response to not want to be persecuted. We don't want to suffer. But faith has always been the means of salvation, whether it was in the Old Testament or today in the New Testament church. There was an aspect to living out that faith. In the Old Testament, right, we, they, they needed to provide sacrifices, goats, sheep. And today, there's still a sacrifice that needs to be made. There's a sacrifice, there's a cost to following Christ. Some people are not going to like you. Some people are going to hate you just because of what you stand on. But people will see God through our faith. Sometimes God will be shown through our persecution. We see all these other countries in the world, they face more opposition than we face in the United States. But yet people still come to Christ, even if it means their life. So why is it so hard for us to live that out on a regular basis? Just as people in the Old Testament, it costs them something, there is a cost today for us to follow Christ. And again, if you look at the Old Testament, the Israelites faced persecution. They faced opposition all throughout their history. But the reminder that we constantly see is God is still faithful. Now we're getting into salt and light. So verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underneath people's feet. Now, when I was thinking about this, um, I actually thought of Tostitos. I, I just love Tostito chips. And it's always because of the salt, right? Now, maybe you're a sugary eater, maybe you're a salty eater. But think about the salt or the sugar, right? Whatever, whatever it is that makes you desire that food or that snack. Now, imagine for a moment you're, you're going to have that food, you don't even look at the bag, and you start eating it, and it's bland. It's stale, it's tasteless. And you look at the bag, and it's expired, and it is sodium-free. Now, you might still get a little bit of that taste, but it's not quite what you thought it was supposed to be. Now, anybody that cooks a little bit understands that salt's one of your more important ingredients, right? It intensifies taste. So my second question for you is, what kind of taste do I leave with people? So we all look ourselves in the mirror. What kind of taste do I leave with a person? I think it's fair to say that, that something with too much salt can taste bad, right? Have you ever had something that is over-salted, right? I know I've made mistakes cooking, so <laughs> I know this. If you look at, for example, the rest of our country, there are other places in our country that 
would say they have a faith in God, whether it's Christianity or other faiths. And I don't think they have the same opportunity that we have. In a place that is more faithless, a place that is more secular, that salt is more intense. when, When people get a taste of us, they want more. They say, I haven't had that before. There's something different about that person. Now, some people, it's going to, the natural response is going to be persecution. They don't want anything to do with you. They're going to hate you. They're going to revile you. But for, other, for others, there's going to be that, that taste. They're going to be like, no, I, I want that. I want more of that. And as people of this earth, we know that life is short. We're only here for a moment. And even getting into the next, the next topic that, that we see in this passage, we're the light of the world. Right? And if we're failing to be that, people are not going to get a taste of this hope that, that is not given by the world. A hope that the world cannot understand. Persecution. We're here to suffer. And that's something that we don't always like to talk about. But our hope goes past the persecution, our hope goes past the suffering. We're here to display, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruits of the Spirit. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, we are still here to show true, authentic love. It's not that we should be scared of being that, you know, salty chip. What, should, what we should be fearful of is being that bland chip, that tasteless chip, that, that when people see you, they get a taste of you and they say I see what they look like I know what they're supposed to taste like but it's not quite right as, as the salt of the world we have the saving elements right? we contain the saving elements that the world depends on if we become Christians by name only we, we lose our taste and the world loses hope we are the aspect that brings hope into this world Now we're going to verse 14. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, plenty of songs today about being light of the world, right? We have the children's nursery all the way up to songs that you'll hear on K-Love or the radio. And I still love the idea of a lighthouse, right? The picture that a lighthouse brings. It's, It's this picture of, you know, at a time when people would sometimes be out in dangerous waters, in the storms of life. And yet that lighthouse shines bright, providing hope, providing direction. Now, again, a lighthouse is more effective at night. You can see it on the shore or off the coast of a beach during the day, but at night it's going to be brighter. It's going to make a bigger impact. And that's what we have as an opportunity here in the Northeast. This area is supposed to be darker than the rest of our country. But I think because of that, we are showing this light. And I think about it like, you know, you go, a lot of you guys go on long trips, right? And you're driving, you're driving at night. And I personally hate the new cars. They all have these bright LED lights. And I'm changing, adjusting my mirror, trying to like not get blinded. And you can see those lights are on during the day sometimes, right? But they don't make quite the same impact. They don't blind you the same way. You're like, oh, okay, it's a little brighter, but it doesn't make that big of a difference because it's so bright. But at night, you're, you're 
you're trying to move the mirror, you're, you're just trying to let them pass, you're getting out of the way. And I think there's something to be said about that. Because sometimes I find them personally really annoying. It's like, oh, here comes another car with LED lights. I think for people in the world, sometimes we are that light that's just annoying. That's why we face opposition. But that light can't be ignored. There is something that we see, you know, there's a difference between an older car with the regular standard headlights and then the LED lights. There is a difference in the way that we should live. Now going back to this idea of a lighthouse, I think a church can be a place that is a lighthouse for many. But historically, lighthouses were run by people, right? There's people shining the light, and then there's sometimes even people that will go out into the storm to see if there's a shipwreck, to help people in need. So we, as, as a church, should be the lighthouse keepers. We should be going out, risking our lives, risking persecution, risking opposition to go out into the world and say, you know what, my hope, I'm just showing the light and hope that I have. But there's something more than this world has to offer. And we all face storms in our own manners. But do we show hope in those storms? Now this passage, it's clearly talking about a city on a hill. To think about being a city on a hill, you know, I was thinking, okay, to, to get up a hill, I started thinking about hiking. And I'm like, oh man, I don't always like hiking. Like, I'll do it, but it's a lot of work. You start sweating, you're going up the hill, you might start, you know, seven in the morning, and it's cold, but by the time you start moving, you're going up, you're taking off your hoodie. There requires a little bit of work to get up that hill. And I think when we face persecution, when we face opposition, that's that work it takes to get up that hill. And because we're facing opposition, because we're facing persecution and climbing up that hill, we have a better opportunity to shine our light on top of that hill rather than, oh, I became Christian and everything's all good. I think it's because we face persecution that our light shines even brighter. Verse 15 says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. So clearly you don't, you don't light a lamp to, and put it under a bowl. You're supposed to be a shining light. But yet for many of us, we go about our life and, and we fail to show our light or we try to cover it up. Right? I go to church and I'm a Christian 9, nine to 12. Monday through Friday, I'm an engineer. Um, I'm a baseball coach after that. I'm a, I'm a husband over here. And yet, do we show that we're following Christ through every aspect of our life? Are we shining our light where our career or job might be? Do we show our light as a parent? Or is it just, I'm a Christian, 9 to 12, that's when I show my light, and then the rest of the week I cover it. You see, we're known for all different labels, right? Labels, labels are something that, that we grow accustomed to. Again, I shared, you know, that I'm an Eagles fan, right? People know me for that. But am I known more for being an Eagles fan than I am for being a follower of Christ? When we fail to represent Christ, not only do we lose our saltiness, but we fail to show our light as it's supposed to be. Now, I'm going to have fun with this one. So think about the Empire State Building. It's a representation of New York. 
It's one of the most well-known distinctive landmarks of our state. But it seems a little wrong, right, that the Empire State Building was celebrating the Eagles winning the NFC Championship a week after that they had beat them for the third time. As, as a New Yorker, for a lot of them, they'll look at that and say, I'm a Giants fan. That's not what it's supposed to be. Why are they representing the enemy, essentially? That's not its identity. That's not the identity for New Yorkers. For New Yorkers, they want to see them celebrating the Giants making the playoffs. They want to see them you know, representing something that has to do with New York. But likewise, when we as Christians fail to shine our light, we start looking like this. We look a little off. People know what we're supposed to represent. But sometimes we're putting on sin more than we're putting on Christ. Sometimes we're living for the enemy more than we're living for Christ. We don't want to face persecution. So we hide our light. We, we hide our ultimate hope. Are we more known for our, uh, being a fan of our favorite sports team or doing this profession or being on this side of the political aisle? Or are we more known for resonating with Christ? See, we're called to live for Christ. And that means living and pursuing him, helping others see the light of the world. We're not supposed to hide it. We're supposed to show it to everybody, to show that our hope isn't here. It's not even, you know, in, in this specific location. We're supposed to go out. We are lights in our community. Verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to I tie this all back together. People will see the light of the world. And this shouldn't be for us. It's not for us to say, oh, look at me, you know, I'm living in righteousness. And I think there's a place to say, wow, I see what God is doing in my life. I think we can appreciate and enjoy that. But when it becomes about us shining our own light, again, we're going to look wrong. Our focus needs to be on representing our Father in heaven, giving the best representation of who he is, not who who we are. Because if it's about who we are, we're going to do a bad representation. So make sure our focus is on representing Christ well. My third question that I want us all to ask ourselves is, what are you known for? Again, more often than not, we're known for our favorite football team or our job or even wearing a cross but not representing it well. All of this can be summed up in, is what is your hope? We're known for a lot of different things. But do any of those things overtake your ultimate light? Do your concerns about life dim your light? Because we get, we get concerned about a lot of different things. Do you walk as though Jesus walked? People will see how you live. And for some, that, that light will be blinding for them. For others, it's hard to see. They don't, they don't want to look at it. Are you there for people? Do you take what Jesus did seriously? Jesus laid down his life for us. He was willing to show us what it took to follow him. Likewise, do we sacrifice our life for others? A light, like a lighthouse keeper would, right? They would go out in dangerous waters. Some people lost their lives. 
but yet we're not willing to give up our free time. We're not willing to give up our Friday afternoon for somebody in need. Now, again, we like to say, luckily, I don't, I don't face that persecution here. We're still in the United States. You know, we're not, we're not going to be killed for following Christ. But again, we, we fail to give up our own time, our own lives, our own needs, our own resources. We don't want to live like Christ because it's uncomfortable. We don't want to stand out because it's uncomfortable. Now, I think it's fair to assess that COVID for many of us was some of the most difficult time. And we see many people stop coming to church and have not returned. But I think even being in youth ministry at the time, it was difficult for them too. It was difficult for the teenagers because Satan was still at work. Satan is still the prince of this world, and he wasn't taking any days off. So even in the midst of that, did we show the same fear that the world had? Or did we show hope that there's something more than this world has to offer? Again, Jesus said, don't don't fear who can kill the body but the soul. When there are people around you in the storms of life, are you willing to go out? Are you willing to go out on that rescue mission? Do people see you as a place of consistent truth? A lighthouse that offers hope? Or do they see another person in the world that looks like the world? Are you more known for your favorite sports team? Are you more known for fear? Are you more known for who you're married to? Are you more known for the person with the big 401k? Are you known for being a faithful follower who mirrors Christ like the beacon of light to the world? Let's pray. Father, I, I just, I think about how much we have to rely on your grace on a daily basis that if it becomes about us, if it becomes about us creating our own light, it's not going to be the light that reflects you. I pray that we can be mirrors reflecting your light that, that comes not from the sun, not from you know, electricity, but a, a holy light that is only shown by you, from us reflecting you, from us living that out. And I pray that we can be like those lighthouse keepers going out into the world and seeking those in need. And when we face persecution, that is not something that, that we, we face timidly, but we recognize that, you know what, our hope isn't here. And because we're facing persecution, that we can have a hope and an excitement even in the midst of that that says, you know what, at least I know I'm resonating with Christ. At least I know my light is being shown in the world. And I pray that, that we can be encouraged, that we can seek to show that light to our peers, to our neighbors, to our friends, so that there's no question who we follow and what our greatest hope is. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick. In closing, let's stand and sing together about the joy and hope that we have in Christ.